Justin Allen, super exciting, super, super exciting. So let me just uh, really quickly, just so we're on the same page again, um, this Saturday, he's gonna do a special teaching. Um, so not just like a preaching session, but a teaching session, which is great because we can interact with them and, um, and we can practice ministry together. Um, but we're asking people to register for that session. So um, Amber, Amber, can you raise your hand? So Amber's back, actually stand up. This is Amber, she can help you register. If you have not registered, she can help you register. And it's like five bucks, because um, we wanted to have some kind of placeholder, but we don't care what the five bucks, you know what I'm saying? So if five bucks is an issue, either for you to come or if you're like my whole family, that would be a lot, whatever. We do have extra tickets people have bought for people. So there's, don't worry about that. But we want to get you registered, make sure you get here. That's one to three on, um, wait, yes, one to four. One to four on Saturday here. And then that night, there's an open service you don't have to register for. Six o'clock on Saturday, there's a service that's open to the community. And we really want to encourage you. I mean, you can bring people with you to teaching too, but bring your neighbors, bring people with you. Um, because we believe what he's seeding into us isn't just for us, it's for the city. Right? If we've gone through all the expense to bring him here and do this, uh, let's maximize it for the kingdom. It's not just for us, right? We believe that God wants his gifts flowing in the city. And so bring neighbors with you that are saved or unsaved. And then Sunday morning, he'll be with us again at 10 o'clock. Um, but I want to encourage you, come. Um, I know there's a lot of need for just hands to do certain things. There's like registration tables and set up and tear down and different things. So if you can lend a hand, uh, see Amber today. Because, you know, just many hands make light work. Many hands make light work. And so see Amber um, and she'll, she'll get you plugged in if there's still a need. Uh, one last thing before we get started, which we're going to be um, starting in Ecclesiastes 4. That's exciting, isn't it? Um, Ecclesiastes 4. Um, many of you know Don Lindemann. Well, some of you know Don Lindemann, maybe not many of you. And then many of you know Dennis Lindemann. Um, Don passed away this week. I know, super sad. Um, I was actually not in town when I got the word. Um, but I'm going to do the funeral today. So, so we're leaving actually pretty quickly today um, to go down to Adrian. And if you're wanting to go, um, if you can just message me, I'm going to do something that's, um, I don't know if it's unwise or wise, but most of you have it anyway. Here's my cell. You ready? Text me if you need <laughs> info um, to my cell. So my cell is 960-5597. If you're a stalker, I'm going to block you. <laughs> Nine six zero five five nine seven. So if you need info, it's at three o'clock in Adrian, so it's a bit of a tight, you know, turn on. But if you want to go, um, some of you remember Don, oh, maybe six, seven years ago now. It's been a while ago now. He was diagnosed with, um, he had a, he had a growth on the stem of his, um, yeah, uh, right at his neck, the stem of his spine. And, um, and they thought it was cancerous. He was going in, this was a Sunday. He was going in the next day to U of M. They were going to go in and get a course of action for him. Um, and so he came right here, stood right here, and asked the body to pray. And we all prayed for him. And while we were praying for him, he felt things happening in his body. And he said, I believe I'm, I believe I'm healed. Like, I'm still going to go tomorrow. But he was that sure. He's like, I almost want to cancel because I believe I'm healed. He went the next day, and they were doing x-rays and all kinds of stuff to find the growth. No growth. No cancer. Like, nothing. You know? But it is appointed unto man once to die. So even if God heals our bodies, 
uh, we are going to pass, if we're believers, we're going to pass through only a veil. It's not really death for us, right? We pass into new life, into eternal life. And so he has, and so we're going to celebrate his life uh, today. So if you want to go, just text me and I'll get you the info. All right, stewardship. We're doing one last week in stewardship. So really quick, just to recap, basic principles of stewardship. If you were here last week, you got them. If you've been here for some time, you know them. Um, so stewardship. Here's some basic principles behind the idea of stewardship. You don't own anything. Basic principle of stewardship. You don't own anything. God owns everything. If God made it and you have access to it, you're a steward. If God made it and you have access to it, you are a steward. But it's, I work so hard. It's my, listen, he, he bent down and breathed into, into Adam's nostrils to animate his body. You know what I'm saying? The fact that we even have strength to do what we do is all owing to him. And so if, if you have access to it, he made it, which is everything, you have access to it, then you're a steward. And so we want to steward things well that he's given us. Here's another indication you're a steward. You're going to die. Unless Jesus returns before your lifespan is over, you're going to die. And the things that you have stewarded are not going to die with you. Not all, not, not, not all of them. Some things you're stewarding, like your body's going to decay, but most of what you steward is going to go on. That car that you bought at your midlife crisis, not getting buried with you. Someone else is going to steward that car. <laughs> so how can we be good stewards? How can we be good stewards? Number one, focus on the gospel. Focus on the gospel. What does the word say about the decisions you make and how you steward the things you've been given? The Bible gives us all kinds of direction and that's the first place we go. If there's a problem, the first thing that Mitch and I do is say, well, what does the Bible say about it? Like we start thinking through, what are the scriptures we know? What does the Bible say? Because that's our starting point, the gospel. Seek wisdom. Again, go to the Word, and the Word says there's wise people God's put in your life. We've got spiritual mothers and fathers and spiritual brothers and sisters, and seek wisdom from people. And you know what? Go to people who've succeeded in that. I have personally found that people who want to give me the most wisdom are not succeeding in the area they want to give me wisdom about. Becky's a beautician, right? She works in a beauty shop. There's a lot of people who don't know how to do relationships, giving relationship advice in the beauty shop. Do not go to them for your... <laughs> I had someone meet with me once. She was about to get married and she was just freaked out about it. She was having some cold feet and it's because her family was kind of a mess. Um, the relationships hadn't worked in her family and everybody who's speaking into her life doesn't know how to do relationships. So I said to her, listen, if you wanted to be an Olympic pole vaulter, do you go talk to the person who quit in fifth grade? Or do you talk to the person who won the gold medal in the last Olympics? You've got choices. Which choice would you make? Go talk to the gold medalist. Seek wisdom. Seek it from the right place, from godly sources. People who've, and listen, there's people I get wisdom about this thing about that I maybe don't get wisdom about that thing about. 
It's not about judging people and being like, well, they're not perfect. Listen, they knew how to raise their kids well. I'm going to go to them for that. I may not for everything, but I can see the fruit of that. I'm going to go get some wisdom. Yeah? Okay. And then invest in eternity. The things you steward, are you leveraging them for eternity? Are you leveraging those things for eternity? You know, I think about um, Ken and Sue. Ken and Sue, just the righteous, the righteous. They have brought more people to church in their vehicles. And at times at great expense, at <laughs> great expense to them. There was one time some guy made, I don't know, he, was, he brought a big crock pot for, for a fellowship thing, brought it into Ken's car. It was full of, was it sauerkraut or? It was something foul in odor. <laughs> and don't you know, he just dumped that whole thing right in Ken's car. But <laughs> he, that guy may not have gotten a second ride, but <laughs> in general, Ken and Sue, they're leveraging this vehicle that's, that they're stewarding for eternity, bringing people... What are you stewarding? How can you leverage that for eternity? You can go to your job and be like, man, I'm just counting on the days. God has placed you as light and darkness. How can you leverage that opportunity for eternity? Are you with me? Yeah, okay. And then, here are the things that we manage. And one more principle to make sure we all have in the house. A wise person trades up. You have five capitals you're going to manage in your life. And a wise person knows what order they go in and how you trade up. The lowest capital we're given is money. Money really should just serve the purposes of getting something better, better capital. Right? And then what's above money? You have intellectual capital, things you know, competencies you have. You have physical capital. Your time, your body, your energy. How are you going to steward those? Who are you going to give them to? Anybody who calls your phone when you give it out to crowds? <laughs> Listen, there's some phone calls you don't need to take. Now you have relationship, then set a boundary if it's not working, but there's people who want my time. I never gave them permission to take my time. We're not in a relationship. I have a sound on my phone. It quacks like a duck. And there are some numbers, of course, nobody that I have a relationship with. <laughs> but there's people I'm not in a relationship with, I never give them permission to take my time, and when, they, and when, their, phone, when their number comes up, it goes, Quack, quack, quack. Because I am going to duck that call. <laughs> that is not a call I need to take. And there's some people I've set boundaries of like, hey, don't call me. They keep calling. Quack, quack. Yeah, you can use it. You can use it. On the church phone, um, Cheryl was helping us in the office. And thank God, Cheryl's so smart. She, she, because sometimes I forget, like, they call and whatever. She actually labeled the calls or nuisance calls. So I'll look in the church phone and it says, scam likely. And I'm like, thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Cheryl. But you get to steward that. Anybody ever felt pressured that you couldn't steward that? 
You're the steward. You make the decisions, yeah? Okay, so you steward your intellectual capital, your physical capital, and then trading up. Relational capital is better than all, all three of those that preceded it. If you're trading relational capital to get some money, you're a fool. You're trading down, not trading up. You with me? You want to trade up. So there's, there's relational capital, you steward. And then the best capital we have is spiritual capital. What are we gaining in knowledge of God and knowing him and loving him? We talked last week about stewarding the garden of our hearts. What are you planting? What are you harvesting? If you're harvesting it, it got planted. So I'm not a victim in life. If I don't like what I'm harvesting this season, I need to plant something different in this season because I get to decide what comes up next season. That's all about spiritual capital. What's spiritual, what's hap, how, how am I guarding my heart, my mind? What am I allowing in? What am I taking in? What am I intentionally feasting on and not feasting on? Right? That's all, that's all being a steward of spiritual capital in my life. Right? Okay. So I want to talk about relational capital today, stewarding relational capital. And I want to um, just go through some principles that if you've been here for any period of time, these are like the back of your hand. You know them. Because we have talked about them to no end. And there's a reason why. Because we, me included, are stupid and we forget. We get into the heat of a moment and all, all the stuff we know can go right out the window. Is that not true? So it's good to remind ourselves. I don't know about you, but like I could hear the gospel every week and I need to hear it every week. It's not that I don't know it. It just keeps getting revived in me, right? So we got to revive truths that God has said about how we manage our relational capital, our relationships. Um, and also, as God brings people in, they join us, they become part of the family, we want to bring them into health. And a lot of times people come in and no one ever gave them good tools. If they had the tools and someone taught them how to use them, they thought they would work, they would start using them. But no one taught them the tools. And so as people come in and join us, we want to teach them how to join us fully. Come into health with us. And if people aren't willing to come into health, honestly, this probably isn't a good boat. There's lots of boats you can climb into. But this boat might feel like a desert land if you don't want to come into health. Because if people won't join you in unhealthy places, you start getting lonely. Either you come to health yeah, we want to bring everyone into health, right? And that's not saying like we're perfect and do it right. It's just when you actually have a goal, when you have an agreed upon value, then you can screw up and you come back to the value. If you don't have an agreed upon value, you just live in screwed up land, right? So we're not saying we do it perfectly. We're just saying if we screw up, we're like, ah, that's not who we are. That's not who I am. I'm going to go fix it. We're good? It was really exciting in here until like 30 seconds ago. Okay, so first thing, Ecclesiastes 4. Thanks, thanks. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. I got Greg. I can keep going. Two people are better than one. Two people are better than one. There are enough people who have been hurt in life and 
didn't know how to navigate out of it, that they no longer believe that. I'd rather be alone or I could live in a house with people. I can have a roommate called a wife or a husband or whatever, but really I'm living alone. There's no intimacy. You're not really seeing into me in my heart. I'm not seeing into you. Um, it's just easier. You can mow the lawn and I can cook the food. You know, whatever. Come on. But the Bible says two are better than one. It's a lot easier to navigate life if you can walk closely with people, right? Two, is better, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other person can reach out and help. So not envisioning a perfect scenario, not envisioning perfect people, this one just fell down, right? But they can help them get up because they've got an agreed upon value. Hey, that's not who you are. Come back, right? But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Whoo! This is how we fight our battles together. Right? One person alone can be defeated. Ever been alone spiritually? You come into a hard season and you feel like, I may not make it out of this one. But when you have a season like that, you're not alone. And people are like going to join with you and pray with you and they're going to be encouraging you. And come on. It's like you can stand back to back and conquer. Right. Amen. And three are even better. <laughs> For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Yeah? God has envisioned that we would have close, intimate relationships with people. Other believers who are going where we're going and who can walk with us. And people are messy. Even people who want to be healthy and have shared values, people are messy. You usually aren't messy in situations you've already like foreseen or already walked through. But how many of you know you get hit with something new and all kinds of stuff comes out of you you didn't know was there? Isn't it good to have people who, through the good, the bad, and the ugly, they've decided, listen, we're braided together like a cord. You're not getting rid of me. I just saw something super scary, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stick around. As long as we're heading in the same direction, I can walk slow with you for a minute while you get your feet back together. So here's some tools. Here's some tools. How do you do that? How do you walk in close relationship? There are kingdom tools and there are fallen world tools. In the fallen world, right, everything gets broken. Genesis 1 through 3, everything gets broken in the fall. Everything is separated, broken in the fall. Our relationship to nature, sickness and death enter the world. Our relationship to God is fractured and broken. And our relationship to each other is fractured and broken, isn't it? And internally, we're fractured and broken. We have all these arguments inside of ourselves flesh and spirit fighting, right? So we need some tools to navigate difficulties that come. And the fallen world tools, which come pretty naturally to us because we're born inclined to evil, naturally before we're saved, um, those are easy to pick up because we're inclined to them. We get saved and the bondage is broken. We become a new creature, but we've practiced using some really bad tools. 
And sometimes we're not sure how to grab new tools. So you kind of keep grabbing the old ones. We're talking about three principles today. Here's the first one. We'll get as far as we can, actually. Um, the first one, kingdom tools. People get to make choices. God wants powerful people. He doesn't want a few powerful people and everybody else with their head down, shrunk low. He wants powerful people. He wants to raise every single believer up mighty. Every single one. He wants every single one to go heal the sick, raise the deliver the oppressed, believe, right? And know who they are in Christ. Every single one. Not just the special ones, the ones with name tags, the professionals, right? Every single one. In a fallen world, just the opposite happens. We use control to shrink people, right? Difficulty happens, and what happens? You start pulling out control tools. What is that? Screaming, yelling, silent treatment, manipulation, guilt, shame, right? Because I just need you to do something. So you making choices being powerful is inconvenient to me. So I'm going to guilt you until you do it. Anybody ever, um, just as an example, anybody ever been in a relationship, maybe the home you grew up in, maybe a roommate you had, whatever, um, they never would like tell you they're upset about something, but you knew because it went dark and silent. Right? And so now you've got to guess what happened, what What are they upset about? What's going on? I feel like they're closing the doors harder. I feel like, I feel like, I feel like I can hear hostility in actions. Uh, When my husband was growing up on Saturdays, if the mom was up first, if, you know, um, his mom was up first, um, everyone knew it. Because that vacuum would hit every wall really hard. Like, I'm not the only one cleaning today. You people get up. Now, never actually went and said, hey, could you help me? Could you maybe get up the next five or ten and help me do this? It was, I'm going to slam these doors hard enough, and you're going to, until you know mama's man, and you try to figure out what it is, and you do what I want you to do. And we laugh about it because we've all been in those situations. That's a terrible way to live. Cowardly way to live. What am I doing? I want you to now be afraid something's wrong and now you're going to come kind of penitently to me and try to figure out what I need and you're going to acquiesce and do what I need so there can be peace again. So I needed you to shrink and now I feel in control because now, right, now the TV's off and you realize mama's mad. But listen, if that's the tool you were given to manage relationships, what tool do you use? That's what you do. But God wants you to be a powerful person. So here's what you do. You say, hey, listen, I know you worked all day and I've been home all day, however, whichever one, right? Um, And you're tired and that's why you've come right to this chair and turn the TV on. But I feel like that totally devalues, (laughs) like, we haven't even talked about the day. I've made some things for you. Um, here's how I would hope, here's how I would like it to look like when we come together at the end of a day. And because the other person gets to do, they get to be powerful too and say, you know what? 
could we just not have any language for the first 20 minutes? Could, maybe not the TV on order, but I might need like just 20 minutes to decompress from the day. Okay, well that's reasonable. You want to talk to me, but you don't have anything left to give. You need a minute. And two powerful people get to figure out how they can move to connection and not disconnection. It's not one person saying, oh, this person's really mad. Now I've got to make it right. I better not have an opinion. Right? Or this person, are you with me? Control is all about, I need to shrink you, shrink the problem, instead of navigating the problem with you so we can both be powerful. I, I should leave it there maybe. <laughs> so quiet in the room. One thing you'll look through the Bible, God is not about controlling people. Like, not at all. And he's God. If God gives people room to make mistakes, if God gives people room to make their own choices, who am I to try to control people till they do what I want them to do? Genesis 4, 6 through 7. Cain has offered a sacrifice that wasn't a sacrifice the Lord desired. His brother Abel offered a good sacrifice. So Cain's jealous and envious and mad. And rather than dealing with it, saying, hey, I can make that kind of sacrifice too, he just gets mad at the world. The injustice. Abel's given favor, I'm not given. So I'm going to get mad about it. And here's what happens. The God of the universe (laughs) sees what's in his heart. He takes the time to come down to Cain. Verse 6, he says, Why are you so angry? But he's engaging, right? He's going to, yeah. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. He sees he's got murder in his heart toward his brother, and he comes to him and says, listen, sin is crouching at your door. You can still do what's right. You can make choices here. You're upset about the situation, but you have the power to change it. You can make better choices. What does Cain go on and do? Kills his brother. Why didn't God stop it? Read through the Bible. In general, God allows people to have free will. And so bad things happen to good people. What would happen to our universe if the board that you build your house with, the wooden board you build your house with, um, that you also take to hit your brother over the head with, what if the elements of that board changed? Because, oh, can't let that be a board anymore. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, we wouldn't have a world anymore. God allows people in this fallen world to make choices. There's no control in it. He gives him an honest warning. He doesn't mince words with them. He's clear with them. But now Cain gets to make a choice. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You can try to control people to get them to do what you want them to do. And it might feel like control to you, but you know what? You haven't convinced anybody. 
Nothing's actually changed in the heart. They're just doing and saying what they have to do and say right now to get peace. Powerful people in relationships actually make transformative changes. All right, I'm going to leave that. Are we good? How are we doing? <laughs> Pastor, worship was so good just now. What are you doing? What are you doing? But what if they make the wrong choice? That's their choice. It gets to be powerful. But, but what if they don't? What if, they get to do that. I talked to a couple once, the... Um, the uh, man had some things he really needed to tell his fiance. Um, this has been maybe 10, 12 years ago. And he said, well, you know what? I don't know how she's going to react yet, so I'm going to wait. No. No. You tell her now. Not until you can gauge, like, you can feel like you're in control of the reaction. You let her know now. And now you let her make choices. <laughs> if you want to have a healthy relationship... Yeah? How you doing? But it's scary. People might make bad choices. Yeah, they might. People may not do what I want them to do. They may not. Who has ordered your steps? The Lord has ordered your steps. There is no man that can thwart the plans of God for your life. You can walk away from them, but no man can thwart them. Other people's choices, it's not like he's going to be like, oh, that one's out of left field. Now their whole life is messed up. No. He knows the choices other people are going to make around you, and he has still ordered your steps. So put your trust in him. Put your trust in him. It will allow you to let the people around you be powerful. Second tool. Are we okay? We're good? Okay, second tool. Here we go. Second tool. In the kingdom, God gives us a tool. It's in Matthew 18. And it's honest conversations. As kingdom people, powerful people, we have honest conversations with people. Which means you privately deal with matters because your goal is to move to connection. Fallen world tools, triangulation, which uses gossip, unbridled emotions, the tongue to um, get people to, again, just control, right? Get people to your way of thinking and your... Um, and this always moves toward disconnection. This will always move people toward disconnection. Matthew 18 says this, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say will be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take their case to the church then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Whoa! Jesus, that got, like, serious fast! What does it say? When there's offense, this specifically in the church, when there's offense, you've got to deal with that thing. How many churches have you walked into where clearly people were holding on to all kinds of offenses that have been there forever? You can feel it in the air. You can feel it in the air. Unforgiveness, man, that is death. Unforgiveness is death. Now listen, forgiveness sometimes is a journey. But when you're heading in the right direction of the journey, there's a softness to your heart. When your heels are dug in and you've decided resentment is your path, oh my word, 
you become a really destructive person to yourself and to others. How many of you have just been there? You can't live it. You can't live in that. And so the Bible says, listen, if someone, if, if there's an offense you have, someone's offended you, go and talk to them privately. Go and work that thing out. And 99% of all things can get worked out really easily that way. How many of you have made an assumption and you went to someone and that wasn't what they were thinking at all? They didn't, that wasn't even in their head. That wasn't even whatever. Well, I waved at you and you just like walked. I didn't even see you. You know what I'm saying? Like we've made an assumption. So you go privately. Now listen, if you use the fallen world tool and you go to three or four people, you're all friends. You know what? I just feel like something's happening with them. So here's the problem. The offense is usually a little thing. But if you're going to go talk to people about it, you've got to make it a bigger thing or you look stupid. That's for real. Because you can't go to your friend and be like, I waved at them and they didn't wave back. Right? Because you know you look dumb. So you can't do that. So what you have to do is be like, you know what? Have you noticed there's a change in them? Have you noticed, like, it's almost like they think they're better than all of us. And there's a few different things, because by now you're collecting, you're collecting, right, um, a case against them. I've noticed, too, like, have you noticed how they're talking to their kids? It's almost like, right? So now you've collected some stuff that probably is completely unconnected, and you've perceived totally wrong because you've decided they're a bad person now because they didn't wave back at you. We're laughing because we have been that person. And we've also been the hearer. And so you've got to, now you're, now you're building a case. And the control in you, which is why you're doing it, the control in you needs that person to agree. And the person you're talking to can feel the pressure to agree. They can feel like our relationship's going to be different if I say, you know what, I think you're crazy. Like, <laughs> they're needing me to agree. And now you've got a way. What, what relationship do I value more? All kinds of division and discord just got sown because someone didn't wave back who didn't even see you because they were crying because Jesus did such a cool thing in their life that day. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Now, you're going to run into an occasional sociopath or whatever who really does want to destructively hurt people but in general, unless your friends are a sociopath, they're just worried about getting through like the stuff they've got to do this week. They're not thinking about how to hurt you. And so the offenses we perceive are often not true. They're often just not true. So the Bible says, listen, go to, just go to that person alone. Don't bring any other Yahoo into it. Because once you've made a deal about it, now you're not going to lose face. Have you ever had someone like give you the case about why someone's like rotten to the core and you see in the next week and they're like, oh no, we talked, it's all good. And you're like, wait a minute. You talked to me for an hour about why this person is Satan incarnate. Like what in the world? And it's just all good. You see, it, there's no good can come from it. And even if you win that person over to hate somebody with you or dislike somebody with you or let's just pray about it, right, together, whatever. If you've got that person on your side, I guarantee you, even if they choose you over somebody else, this is what triangulation does, they distrust you more now. Because if you can talk about that person that way, if that friendship can so easily get discarded, 
how much do I trust this person? The triangulation, it can't produce any good fruit. Can we go back to the slide where it's got the, the tools? The triangulation can't produce any good fruit at all. Even if momentarily we feel in control, we feel our emotions are validated, it can't bring any life. You go to that person, you deal with that person privately. If you guys can't work it out, bring in a couple of people who are wise in the faith and you both trust, and then sit and work it out. When someone comes to you with something, if you want to be healthy and invite people to health, come on, this is be crucial for the future of our church just because people are going to come in not healthy. We're going to have to get really good at saying, have you talked to them? Have you talked to that person yet? Did you go to them? Like, if you're inviting me in, it's for stage two. I'm going to be sitting down with, like, we're not just going to talk about this person. I'll be part of a solution. I won't be part of a problem. Have you talked to that person? Well, nobody can talk to them. They, you don't know. They could, no, no, Jesus said this is the first step. But they just have a way of, well, you still have to do the first step. And then if we need a second step, there's a second step. I've been in my office before and said, let's just get them on speakerphone. Let's just, I'll just speakerphone them right now. Let's take care of it. Well, but I, I, well, then we shouldn't be having the conversation. If you've come with me, to, if you've come to me to solve it, all I can do is, again, because we go to with the word, the word says, this is how you deal with it. Let's put them on speakerphone. Let's deal with it. I'm telling you, one thing is you'll invite people into health. There are some people who have never had people deal healthy ways with these things. And you're going to invite them into health. Or honestly, they're never going to come to you with gossip again. Either one is a big win. <laughs> Either one's a win. We want to move toward connection. I don't ever want to facilitate this person moving toward disconnection. That's why I'm not going to listen. Right? I'm not going to help you move toward disconnection. I'm going to help you move toward connection. Now listen, every single one of us in the room like, I have done that wrong numerous occasions on both sides of the fence. Jesus knows, but if it's a shared value, even when we screw up, we come back to it. Even when we screw up, we make a phone call the next day and say, you know what? I just, I feel bad about, I should not have shared that stuff with you. I didn't go to them. I didn't, right? That you clean up the mess you make if it's a value. It's not that everyone's perfect, but it's our value, right? So we want to move toward connection. We're going to deal privately with people, move toward connection with people. Okay, last principle. Here we go. Other kingdom tools. Mercy, love, encouragement. This empowers and releases people. Unforgiveness. Self-protection. This empowers and imprisons people. People are going to screw up. And I'm, now some people genuinely sin against you on purpose, <laughs> right? Some of you have had d really difficult things done to you that were intentional from people who have very serious problems. Um, you can still walk out forgiveness, but I mean, there's wise ways to walk out forgiveness with people who are narcissists and sociopaths. <laughs> it's not that you can't do it. I'm saying, yes, we can do it, but I mean, you want to walk that out wisely. I just want to be really clear because I know some people have had really terrible 
experiences. Many people in this room have very terrible experiences. So we're going to walk that out wisely. There are some people you forgive who you never see again. You know, you, you're going to cancel the debt, you're going to forgive them, but you never see them again. Right? So I, I know that there are those. So we're going to take sociopaths and narcissists and put them over here. <laughs> and we're going to talk about everybody else. Okay? Mercy, love, encouragement. Man, hurt people hurt people. Sometimes, you know, people who haven't allowed God to heal them, um, all their cuts are bleeding and they bleed all over everybody. They bleed on people that never cut them. That's just for real. And so often people are bleeding on you. And man, when you begin to offer love and mercy in place of judgment, all of a sudden hope begins to grow that life doesn't have to be what it has been. Hope begins to grow that these cuts can get healed. When we just react, you know, action, reaction, people become more and more convinced. It doesn't get better than this. This fallen world is what there is. It doesn't get better than this. For a lot of people, I have found when they have consistent broken relationships and friendships and what have you, what happens is they'll eventually just recreate the same circumstances. How many of you have found that? Like, you feel like you're going to be rejected, so now you're creating circumstances where you're going to be rejected. How many of you have found that? How many of you have done that? Like, you've found that, done that, right? We've been, we've been all those things, right? When you begin to operate in mercy and love and forgiveness for people, people get invited into health. Maybe this can be different. Maybe I can get healed. Maybe this works. And if there are so many people who've never seen anyone do this, and they're going to have to watch people do it for a while before they believe it. You know what I mean? Because they're in self-protection mode. There are a lot of people, if they had looked out for themselves, nobody was. From very early ages sometimes, they had to only trust themselves because they couldn't trust people they should have trusted around them. They've got to see health work for a while to even understand the mechanics of it. How do you, how do you love in that way? How do you not live in self-protection? People really never get close, never really... You know what I mean? How many of you are with me? You know what I'm talking about. When we walk in mercy and love and encouragement, people get empowered. They get empowered to join us in kingdom living. It releases people from chains they've been in for years and years and years. How many of you, you could, you could target a time where you're like, all I had were like fallen world tools, and then I began to see people use kingdom tools, and at first it didn't even seem real, but at some point I became convinced and it was like transformative. How many of you have had that moment where you're like, oh my goodness, it can be, it can be like this? We can have honest conversations and disagree and you still like me? Uh, I'm, I'm just telling you, there are people who've never experienced that. There's going to be retribution unless I just, you know, you're going to start banging cabinets and <laughs> they've never experienced that. But when they begin to experience it, they get empowered to live in that. Um, I want to give you some scriptures here. So if you go back to Matthew 18, so it says, work out your stuff. Like it's really serious. You work out your stuff. And then look what it says next. Matthew 18, the next verse is verse 18. I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this. 
If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together in, um, two or three gather together in my name, I am there with them. So it's this whole discussion and teaching on work out your junk, work out your offenses, and then what happens when you work out offenses and you have unity? Even if you disagree, you can have unity, right? What happens? Ask anything in my name where two or three of you are gathered together. I'm right there. Listen, the enemy loves division. He loves to disempower, create distrust and discord because where people decide I'm for you and I'm going to be for you even when you fall down, what begins to happen? They begin to move powerfully in the spirit. Whenever you look, um, read about great awakenings or revivals, what's the first thing that happens? People start forgiving. People start forgiving and there's unity. And power gets unleashed in that. John 12, think about this. I know we need to, I know we close up. This is, this is important stuff for all of us to be on the same page, right? Just take a minute. Okay, John 12, think about this. Jesus knows he's not far from being betrayed and dying. It says this, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, of course, and Lazarus was among those who ate with them. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole for himself. When they come together for the Passover meal, Jesus says, I know who's going to betray me. Listen, Jesus knew he was a thief. He knew he was a betrayer. And where's Judas? At the table. He knows he's a thief who's carrying the money. Judas. If you go into any Christian bookstore, if they still exist, if you go into any Christian bookstore, the shelves are lined with how to get toxic people out of your life. Guess what? Jesus was surrounded by toxic people. And he kept showing mercy. He kept showing grace. He had boundaries. He had boundaries. In those intimate places um, where he would share his heart, he'd bring Peter and John. And, you know, he had his three. He didn't say, Judas, come minister to me. <laughs> so I'm not saying he didn't have boundaries, but listen, he didn't kick Judas out. He knows he's a thief. He says, why don't you carry the money? Don't you know that every time Jesus entrusted him with the money, the conviction was just so strong in his life. He was giving Judas chances to repent. Come on. That's the goodness of God. Well, what do people screw you over? They messed over Jesus all the time. Yeah, eventually they killed him. And the ones who were closest to him deserted him. All but John and the women. I had someone say once, I don't think women should be pastors because all the disciples were men. And I said, which disciples? <laughs> the ones who deserted him at the crucifixion or the ones who were with him? Because those are women. <laughs> but I'm just saying, 
they, they, they repped us well, is all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Dave's like, I got some in my pocket for my brother now. Okay. <laughs> but think about this. All those guys deserted, and what he, there's no recrimination. And who does he come to? First, the people who left him at the cross. That's who he comes to and ministers to. And what happens to these guys who were like shrinking and so afraid in the back room, doors locked? Maybe they're coming for us next. 50 days later, they win 3,000 people to the Lord in the street, preaching, not afraid at all. His mercy empowered them, you see? His mercy and love for them empowered them. Come on. Come on. When we love well, it empowers people and it begins to plant seeds of hope that things can be different. Things can get healed. Maybe you can really be, have real relationship. People can really see you and still stick with you. Come on. Come on. When we walk in unforgiveness and self-protection, I'm not really going to show you me because you might mess me over. You might, right? Um, we disempower everyone around us and we imprison people. Unforgiveness imprisons people. Unforgiveness imprisons people, including us. It imprisons people. Jesus canceled debts everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, he canceled debts. So good. Would you stand? Where's your team? Come on up. Stewarding our relationships. Jesus, give us great courage in our relationships. Make us courageous. And we have to be courageous because people fail. And people are messy. So that's our prayer. I know some of you may need prayer. You've, maybe you're sick in body. You've come for other things. You need prayer. Please get prayer for whatever you need prayer for. But I want to encourage today in the house, I really believe that Jesus wants to heal and restore and lighten people's loads. You know, if you, if you can look back and think this person did this and that and that and that and that to me, that means you're, you're keeping a score because some point it feels like I can pull it out. But you made right, I'm going to pull this out. It'll never be made right that way. You're going to have to cancel debts. You're going to have to cancel debts is what you're going to have to do. Now, sometimes when there's really deep wounds, sometimes miraculously God comes in that moment and heals it. Sometimes you cancel the debt, you still have the wound. Now you've got to walk that out. And that takes a minute. You know, it's gonna, some stuff's going to take a minute for the healing to happen in you. But you don't need to be imprisoned by unforgiveness. And I'm not saying we forgive because it's better for us. It is better for us, but we forgave, the Bible says, because he forgave us. We do it to serve him. I'm going to forgive not because it's better for me. I'm going to forgive because he said forgive because I forgave you. So I'm going to forgive. And it is better for me. So I just, I'd ask us to search your heart. Maybe there's even people God puts on your heart and you make a phone call today. Or you just say, hey, I just, there's, there's division. There's something you can maybe take care of. Some of you, you've forgiven, you canceled debts, but there's some deep wounds. And God's been working on them, but they're still there. And he's got healing in his hands for you. So here's how we can respond. We're going to respond in worship. You can also respond by praying with someone. So there's people here and here. Also in back, there's people to pray with you. You can sit at your seat and pray. Any believer near you has the kingdom without measure. So any believer 
uh, can pray too, not just the professionals. Any believer can pray. Maybe just respond and worshiping God, but let's take some time to respond to him and receive his word to us. Amen.
powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Oh, death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. Silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. Sing, you have, but you have no rival. You have no equal. Name it is the name. 
down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Come on, sing, oh, what a Savior, oh, what a Isn't he wonderful? See how they
to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back The world behind me The cross before me The world behind me The cross before me The world behind me The cross before me no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still 
still I will follow, no turning back, no turning back. Amen. God is good. Amen. So good all the time, all the time. Can I just pray over you before we, we pray together? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, give us great courage in our relationships, Lord. Thank you, Father. Let our relationships with unbelievers <laughs> show your light. And let our love for one another, for believers, prove that you are good. Let people see our love for each other and know that we are yours. Help us to love well. Help us to love well when we screw up. Help us to love well. When somebody else screws up, help us to love well. When we screw up, help us to remember your values, your tools, what your word says. Let that be our home base. <laughs> Father, give us courage. Give us courage, Lord. Jesus, make us like you. Conform us to your image, Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would you encourage somebody before you go? Hug somebody. He's